0: You're listening to Conversionations, the podcast that helps conversion optimizers overcome challenges they face with their experimentation programs. Brought to you by Effective Experiments, the workflow and project management software helping optimizers make experimentation a core part of their business. Scale up your testing program with a centralized solution and document all your research, ideas, experiments, and results in one place learn more and request your free trial by visiting effectiveexperiments.com and now your host manuel de costa hey
1: welcome back this is manuel de costa from effective experiments welcoming you to the continuation of mythbusters on conversion nations uh now last episode we kind of ran out of time we were trying to um, cram in a lot into that session and we kind of failed so uh we had to do part two and uh welcome back if you are listening to this episode without actually listening to part one then i recommend stop now go back to part one which is available on itunes uh apple podcast spotify or on our website and um if you um just go and check, check that episode out we've covered three myths so just to briefly recap uh first of all uh, welcome to Tim Stewart and Chad Sanderson. Uh, Hello, I. back again. Uh, you guys. Um, Tim, do you want to go and um, recap some of the, the points that we covered? So I know we, we covered uh, that statistical significance matters is a big myth, and I think uh, Chad, uh, yeah, there was a lot of feedback around that.
2: Yeah, I'll leave that one to Chad because it, that's, that's his soapbox to play with. But uh, We're not going to
1: go back into it, just tapping <laughs> the points. We're not going right back into it.
2: Yeah, I, th- um, I think kind of the, the kind of three, three core elements which kind of ran, they did sort of segue into each other, which is why I think it ran a bit long in terms of kind of how they worked. But effectively, the, the blind trust of data without understanding the data is a myth that, that kind of causes people to make mistakes. Um, they, they are not questioning, not using common sense in terms of kind of what's supposed to happen, what the maths is supposed to do and how they're interpreting the maths for that. That then rolled on into kind of how you project value, how you estimate the, the, the value from that. So kind of the the actions you can and should take and what you could expect from those actions to do. Um, the difference between kind of, you know, taking a, a sample period and multiplying it out of 12 months to say, here's the value from um, is overly simplistic. I think it would be fair to say yep. half an hour's worth of rant to mm, don't do that. And, and then the, the kind of the next thing, which was another numbers one, which was kind of more, more my side of things was um, the basically doing it faster, getting more tests out per month is the um, kind of the end goal of having a conversion team, which is, I argued is it's, it's related. You know, you could do more stuff that's good. You go faster, yeah. But, That's good. It's a very critical part of that sentence and speed for the sake of speed actually sees people falling flat on their face more often than not. And I think if you are in a position where your main target is how many tests did we do, not how well did we do those tests, not did we do those tests more efficiently, did we match those tests to what the business needs to learn from better, then that speed
1: in itself is not necessarily a good thing. It might actually be a harmful thing. Cool. So that's uh, three points that we covered last time, succinct, succinctly summarized by Tim over there. See? See? <laughs> uh, so before we continue to the, to the, the, the broader discussion of the, the other three points we have, uh, Daniela from Hamburg in Germany says uh, her main takeaway was that it was inspiring and refreshing to hear uh, what, uh, was that it makes more sense to utilize experimentation as risk mitigation rather than as a growth tool as it's often sold that way and hence oversold uh, so that's an interesting point i think like risk mitigation uh, now one thing i have gone through that this discussion about risk mitigation with a few other people and often um i've been told that that's a naive way to look around uh, look uh, look at it because it's there. you know conversion optimization is there to make people money right and uh, that's not a myth. We're just kind of riffing on that point over there, which I feel seems to be like where I feel companies go wrong. It's that focus on, yes, we need to drive revenue from this. Yes, you do. But there is no risk mitigation. Conversion optimization has never seen like that. So I just want to get your thoughts on, on Daniela's um, feedback from her, what she took away from that session as well.
2: Yeah, see, I think we're kind of getting into semantics on that one in that kind of – I don't know whether you want to be glass half full, glass half empty. I think the argument was because of the various things we discussed in the last episode that that just saying it only counts if we make more money is somewhat missing the point because it also counts if you avoid losing money because people are losing money every day from decisions they don't test. But actually – it only counts if you win. It sounds great, sells well, but I think that's the kind of the definition of win is a little bit kind of uh, single-minded focus. And if we take back to the second point that Chad was raising, it's like, well, what, what value actually is there? If you're claiming growth, if you're ignoring risk mitigation, you're claiming growth. When you start looking at the actual mass for doing that, then you start to get into the point where you are... You're making increasingly vague estimations the further out you get the, the the less like the audience you think you tested you've got your forecast becomes less accurate so if you're going to be kind of sneery about learning and experimentation the effect of an overall program to try to do less harm and go it only counts if we get a win you are kind of cherry picking, you're know, almost kind of biasing your own data by ignoring the work that goes into establishing where that win came from. Now, if your hit rate is every time I run a test, I pick a winner and the winner wins, either you're really good at this or you're really bad at maths and you're cheating effectively. Um, so I think I think it is semantics. We're not saying that you don't get growth from mitigating risk because if you reduce risk, you can grow faster, which makes more money. But as a program, as a whole, you can measure that because more money in the bank. Yeah.
3: Individual so, tests, uh, pounds and pence, less so. Yeah. The, the, the way that I would, I would think about this is to ask kind of a rhetorical question, which is what are the business functions that are not about making money, right, that don't care about? Are there any business functions that do that? I would, I would argue no. I would argue every single aspect of a business, the purpose that those people are there is to make the business money. And yet there are very clearly some business aspects that it's pretty hard to justify their ROI through a single number. For example, design, right? If you have a designer that's responsible for things like branding, obviously that's an important thing to have. But how much money is a new brand worth? Like if you're changing your logo, how much money does that make you, and yet businesses will pay millions of dollars for this. You know why is that? I think it's because there's obviously a a qualitative level of value um, to certain business efforts. Another one is is q a right quality assurance so there's there's very little it's really hard to as a tester. If you're looking at new features going out the door and testing them and saying, this is bad or, or this is good, how much money are they contributing to the business? Well, the only way you would know that is if you didn't have them at all and bad stuff was going out, right? Then you could sort of work backwards from that and say, okay, well, if 20 things go out that are bad, that costs the business a million dollars. And so having the QA is actually saving the business a million dollars. Right. There's all sorts of little things like that in business functions. I think where experimenters and CROs have kind of gone wrong is starting with the faulty assumption that they can measure accurately. And because they had that faulty assumption, then as a discipline, CRO became all about justifying your worth through ROI. But that's not true. You actually can't measure accurately. And so the assumption that you have that you need to accurately attribute everything is wrong from the beginning not a good way of looking at things
1: yeah so i think this this kind of ties into one of the well the myths that i want to bring up which i want to bring to the table as well uh, well i was on a, a linkedin conversation with uh, jonas alvish yesterday and i was like um uh he's xbooking.com and kind of doing something secretive at the moment i don't know what but uh i don't know if i can say it live on air but uh basically he's uh we're talking about this whole aspect of where do CROs actually go wrong in, in uh, trying to, well, as Daniela put it, oversell CRO? Like, are they, are they actually going to stakeholders and C-level and saying, yeah, this is like this magic money uh, printer. You can press the button here. And I'll come up with all the ideas and just print money for you. Yeah, but just pick the best one. They're all going to win. Just pick pick the one that makes yeah. the most cash. And, and like, where are we going? So my the myth that I want to bring to the table is sharing information across the organization is going to make you the hero there. And now you might just take a step back and question me and say, what are you on about? Hear me out, right? Over the last few, well, over the last year or two, there's been a huge uptick in this culture of experimentation, right? I mean, even we talk about it, effective (laughs) experiments, but every vendor and every CRO person is talking about culture of experimentation. And yesterday on LinkedIn, I put out this question as to what do you actually think, you know, uh, culture of experimentation is. I haven't actually had a lot of engagement on that one, but predictably so, the answers in there were pretty siloed and it was just about CRO as such, right? And so when when CROs think about culture of experimentation and sharing information to grow this culture of experimentation, it kind of boils down to this really hands-off activity. Yeah, we send out updates every now and then. Yeah, we we do like this big workshop where we share everything. But really, I'm yet to see organizations have a big impact Uh, with that kind of activity I feel like um, as CROs we're missing a trick uh, where not even a trick we're missing a process whereby engaging people in the organization is not like a a one-off yeah I just have an auto email that goes out um, and that's done it's a lot more involved.
2: Is that not typical of what's but we talk about culture of experimentation and I don't think it deserves the sneer quotes, frankly, you know, there is something to this. Yeah. Yeah. Inverted um, commas, inverted commas, but, but it, it's, companies talk about culture all the time. It's one yeah. of the things that I really, really loved about working in enterprise businesses is there'd be all that kind of faux team building stuff and kind of like culture of champions and all this sort of stuff. And there's going to be, we're going to be, yes, and there's no negatives. And it's, culture comes from the teams it's done done properly it comes from the teams but it's enabled by the management but quite often you see culture and i'm not talking about experimentation here come from management or marketing down because it's something they feel they ought to have so it's given lip service people are almost forced into doing kind of here's the way we work because we're fun people go play table tennis and it's kind of like yeah does the table tennis and air hockey table actually improve productivity, or is it just because it's one of those badges you have of a, country, a company that's got a fun culture? And it's that kind of cause and effect thing. Of I've got lots of books in my house, doesn't mean I read them. Um, so I think what you're complaining about is not necessarily a culture of experimentation, because I think we all agree, kind of having that. I'm trying to avoid using the word data-driven data.
1: Data-driven, customer-centric,
2: let's throw the jargon. Use-centric is where it's going to go next. And Having that kind of like as a bullet point on your sales pitch is where it's come to now. But the actual process of developing a genuine culture where people join because they want to do that, they're that way-minded. They see the joy of going, I want to be challenged every day. They see the joy of being proven wrong. Like they aren't scared of being told, no, you're wrong, try again. They actually go, okay, that's what I want to learn. That's quite hard to build if it's not in people naturally. And it's very hard to enforce. But because it's one of these checklist must do things that a young and thriving company must now show to itself be doing, it feels a bit like a checkbox operation. And therefore, doing the motions, whether it be for experimentation or in or, or any of these kind of cultural pushes, it does feel like more like a checkbox side sort of thing rather than what's actually taken because sometimes it's hard. And then, and, um, you know, so Jonas Alves was talking about some stuff. Lucas from booking has talked about the same sort of thing before in that it's, it's quite hard to, yeah. um, accept that you're wrong and have being wrong celebrated as part and parcel of we've got a process for, oops, we shouldn't have done that. And, and kind of going back to the previous point, we talked about coming coming. If it's not a win, it doesn't count. But you, you learn more if you've set up the test properly, whether it's win or lose, if you set the test properly. And therefore, culture and everybody knowing, everybody buying into why they all need to pull together, why they all act in a certain way, why they all work together and, and act as a team, you know, support each other in their mistakes, support each other in the success, successes. It's a lot harder to do than going, here's my latest win Yeah, exactly. on an email. And it may be that's counterproductive too because we then continue the overselling of what CRO is supposed to be doing even inside the company because we've established the whole it'll cure cancer and angels will fall from the sky and whatever else it's been sold to pitch into it. And then we've got the kind of trough of disappointment comes in where people are going, oh, not every test to win. So then we end up cherry picking to go, here's this week's win. And it almost feels like, oh no, we haven't got a win for this week. It's like, but have you done your job? Do we accept that doing your job will will create wins at some point, however, we've defined them as a company, and that people up and down the chain from us and side to side, because you're right, cross silos, will understand that what I did this week necessarily wasn't moving the bottom line of conversion rates, but it did verify that the platform change that IT required for their cost cutting and their optimization was not going to negatively impact what we're doing as a business. Even though the expected impact was no impact is a win because it's, it's another reason. it's another motivation to that beyond conversion rate, which is why zero is increasingly kind of the, the wrong uh, three letter acronym to be using for all this. People give it lip service, challenge them with that. It's like transparency. When you challenge them with actually what transparency looks like, they go, Oh, I don't want to tell people what we're doing though. That's that's my dirty washing's on display. It's kind of, that, that's kind of what transparency means. And I think that's the problem. It's kind of – they're assing something, and it's it never half
3: ass something and you can whole ass that's, that's, that's the job here. Yeah, I, I think – so when I think of a culture of experimentation, um, to me, CRO is usually the least important part of that. Like, it's very, very small, Um, at least the sort of conventional definition of CRO, I'm running A-B tests on a website or or mobile application. Um, Amazon, to me, has a culture of experimentation, and their biggest moneymakers right now, um, or the the highest growth moneymaker, you could say, is AWS, and that was innovation, right? They were the first company to go into the to the cloud service provider model. And that was an experiment, right? They launched that business internally as an experiment where they thought about how do we innovate? What are the things that people need? If we started going down this direction, what would we need to prove out it worked? And I wasn't there, but they probably had several different options that they tried, several d- different business models that they asked people. And as they kept experimenting over and over and over again, what we see is this extremely fine-tuned engine. Uh, it reminds me a lot of the Wright brothers and how, you know, they, they flew the first plane um, and they created the first plane. And that was the result of endless experiments. It was hundreds of experiments to get to the plane. And I, when I think of culture of of experimentation, it's that. It's like, are, is your company innovating in such a way where people are taking taking risks, taking chances, and trying so many different things that at at the output, at the outcome, you've got something brand new and interesting and and super valuable. Um, a B testing, as we know it, it, is a subcomponent. It's taking that same approach to building features on a pre-existing website but if that part is not in the company dna if the innovation through experimentation is not in the company dna i don't think they have a culture of experimentation
1: Uh, let's face it right let's face it other than like the companies that keep coming up quite often like booking.com amazon etc you know they have culture of experimentation in their dna it comes up quite often now I do have an issue with that, like them being quoted a lot of the times, mainly because they're at such a different level that you know it's more aspirational for some companies. They're never going to get to that level.
2: Yeah, so I I was about to say the same thing. I think because one of the there was quite a lot of feedback. It's great to get kind of feedback on on the previous episode. A lot of people saying, "Oh, kind of we were a little bit kind of like uh, focused on on like the perfect rather than." kind of what's practical right now it's all very lovely in theory but i can't do that and kind of but you kind of have to show where it needs to go and explain kind of where you haven't lifted your head up from your current local maximum to kind of go this could be better than this but i'd say the same thing so like Manuel started out by saying that people are emailing out try and be a bit more positive in this and kind of like what else can we do we're not saying it's not possible oh, yeah. and i'd agree chad i really want to see somebody kind of hr to, i want to see the hr department looking to optimize it's an experimentation mindset challenging measuring and seeing what you can fix and then and taking action based on that. And then, yeah, AWS being born out of somebody go, hey, we've got all these spare server cycles for these servers we need to buy anyway. Why don't we sell them to somebody? <laughs> make that a product is is genius. But but that's not something that comes into, it's not something you could A, B, iterate your way to. That is a, no. let's try something and see what happens. And, I, I think the first, the first a,
3: thing. A, a, the point The point that I'm trying to make there is that well number one it it just be, I think it's not quite fair to say well because it's Amazon that means we can't you know they they're way too big. Mm. Comboy is is very similar to that, right? Comboy is a company it's where I work right now. Uh very few people know them, but they just had a 400 million dollar funding round a few months ago and I would probably say in in a few years when the inevitable sort of 1 plus billion dollar funding round comes again, then they're going to be part of this upper echelon of okay, well, they're too big. We can't be like them either. But they, they started at the same place as pretty much every other you know, small business did. Um, one of the things that they've done, which I, I really think is cool because I think it is a culture of experimentation here, is they have uh, regular moonshot weeks where they encourage people to do experiments, go find something new, go try attack a new area. Uh, build something brand new, and then see if you can get investment and buy-in from the rest of your team, and then and then iterate on that. Right? Those are all experiments. They're not what we think of as traditional A B experiments, where I have a really clean control and a really tr- a clean treatment. But it, if you if you think about how experiments are run, and like uh, uh, economics or um, you know medicinal trials or or uh, any, any of these other so legal right creating new laws. Any of these other things, when someone wants to create a new law as an example, they don't just roll it out and say, here's this new law, it applies to everyone, You know, everyone now has to follow it. They usually trial it in cities or counties or regions, they make comparisons, they do a qualitative assessment, then they make tweaks to it, and then they roll it out as they, they're starting to see that it has some some value over time. Every company can do that. It's just most companies are, are generally focused on running the, the day-to-day stuff and not necessarily the innovation and the companies that are focused on putting time away to do innovation and experiments are the ones that, that leapfrog them. And then and they can I ask, can
1: I ask you a question there, Chad? So you mentioned Convoy, right? And obviously Convoy is not at the level of Amazon, right? But right. from the time Convoy was set up, the founders or the, the immediate leadership team, um, you know, the, the first people that started, what was their mindset like in terms of experimentation?
3: oh they're so these guys came from amazon so their mindset was i, I, I rest right. my case
0: i rest <laughs> my case
2: right, right. <laughs> but but i think uh, yeah i think the same same point's true like i'd throw the other hat into the ring uh, cuz booking always got lost and I, let's give hotels.com a bit of a name check um, the common cause for a lot of these be it amazon hotels all these ones who we now know have succeeded off the back of this is they came in building the company, and Chad used the right term earlier on, the DNA. So from Ooh, board yeah. level down, they've gone, we're going to be innovative. What do you mean by that is this is what I mean by innovation. And they have literally structured the company, both in manpower, in from terms the of how go. their financials work, from the get-go to go, we're going to play with this, push the limits, push the edges on everything, because getting better on any of these things is the right thing to do. And we're willing to do some trials exactly flip the coin gamble however you want to term it to see where those limits are and where we can balance these pros and cons that we have to balance just in running a business so recognize running a business is risk running a business is a balance of many factors and controls and limitations and we are going to base our business on playing with those levers of what's too far and what's not far enough and that's from the from rather than i've got an idea somebody wants to pay me money for it let's keep going until we hit a brick wall And that's what a lot of traditional businesses have been structured to do. So therefore that's, Chad's saying, you end up fiddling around on the edges rather than fixing the core. Yeah. And it's a lot harder to fix the core than it is to do that because it does need to be, if it wasn't built in from the st- ground up, you need to rebuild Like you know, at some point you need to take the whole show down and put a whole new one up, which is why you end up with companies it, which have got yeah. skunk works and stuff. They, the core business can't shift, but they can have a skunk works off to the side. That's got carte blanche to go. You're our future. Build me something that becomes the future. But right now we can't have you in the main line of business because
3: we haven't got the capacity for that. But, yep exactly yeah. like if and and, and if they don 't have that like if that if that DNA is not there, to me, you cannot have a culture of experimentation, not really yeah. what you 're going to have is people running a b tests and that 's cool
2: but but it 's got its limits i yeah. think the, I think right. the, the so the criticism wasn 't saying like a, you can 't reach there, It was more of a request going. I'm not like that. What can I do? Yeah, Manuel so, said like sticking an email out and going,
1: yay, win.
2: Isn't yeah. going to get you there.
1: I, 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 have, yeah. I, have, I, have, I have suggestions for this and I think I, I have done, uh, well, I did a CXL course and I did some training around that, but it's about reframing what experimentation is in the first place. I'm still getting into discussions with people where they say, well, if you, if you design a test correctly and if you get all, if you know what uh, research you've done, your test should never fail. I mean, like, what do you mean? Not fail in a way that you learn from it? No, it should never fail. You should always get a win. It's about just reframing that conversation about experimentation. It's a damn test. You got to learn from it. Regardless, it's a test. You've got a hypothesis. Your hypothesis could well be wrong. You need to take your ego out of that equation. That's step one. That's reframing the entire conversation about experimentation. And we go back to, yeah, what can you do? Well, Tip, it,
2: tip two, to, again, to watch this, because we've we ripped it apart. So we've made it quite clear. We saved you a job there, a couple of hours worth of time. They could <laughs> yeah. they could be hugely disappointed with what A/B testing can do, and
1: then <laughs> yeah. we don't have this conversation ever again. Ever again, ever again. But, but tip number two is more about, well, uh, we're going to cover this in a future episode at some point, I think the next one. But it's about really going and talking to people, and not just, uh, as you put it, lip service. It's about really going out there and putting yourself out there to evangelize proper experimentation and the, the, the core benefits and the, the outcomes that you can expect from experimentation. But as, cha- as you said as well, Tim, there's a lot of people just moving food around the plate, right? They're not really uh, hitting the right potential. They're basically just doing the bare minimum. And as I said, they're sending emails thinking that that's what's going to get people excited. People look at the email and probably don't even look at it again. Okay.
2: Cause, right. uh, but that, That's because that's what we say. It's like communicate. You do need to tell people what you're up to, but it tends to be that we end up doing the lowest common denominator. So, yeah, talk to people. If you're in the same building, it's easier. Pop along, see them at the coffee break, organize that. Chad's raised some previous episodes of Conversion Nations. It's weird not having Chad's face there because normally he'd be walk, kind of hinting he wants to jump in on this. So, I mean, shout if you want to jump in on this, Chad, because this yeah. is something you've kind of said before. Um, but you've got the um, – find out what they need for their business like if we're talking about optimization if we're trying to get out of our silo we are generally hired by the people who make money or marketing so therefore we tend to focus on marketing based goals and money based goals that's what we tend to report against and then we take the complication that introduces and make it somebody else's pain dear dev people you're overstressed we're now gonna chuck even more work in your thing and we're gonna tell you it's important. And when it doesn't go fast enough, we're gonna blame you. Dear HR people, we're gonna need to make sure that you have to hire these people with a very specific set of skills who are hard to find, but we've only got this much budget to play with. And we end up cascading the pain to make this experimentation down without ever asking, hey, product people, what questions would you like to answer? I think i might be able to help with that. Hey, you know, what's the what I'm doing at the moment? literally looking for locations. What's the best place to put the new superstore? Sod all to do with, yeah. uh, with kind of what the website's doing, except there is a relationship between how much the website gets used depending on where the nearest superstore is. And that this, there is this, a different relationship. Actually... In terms of the, but that's I apps. Mean, I, I haven't touched a website for that sort of thing. It's literally going, where are the holes in the business? What questions can I answer? And then we're using the web, the tool, as a way to kind of gather both qualitative and quantitative data to back up an argument and a decision that's going to have to be made. The business is going to have to make that decision. It's going to, but rather than going, let's guess, we're starting to introduce them to the idea that Chad was just talking about, which is, hey, we can experiment this. We can do a little lower risk trial to see what the potential is, what the risks are. Would that help you with your decision decision process? And the answer is invariably, yeah. So we take some of our precious roadmap, our limited resource, we spend it on somebody else's problem. Not our end of yes. year target, and if we can do that, that gets them going. Hey, they're not my enemy; they're my buddy. They could, yeah. they could help out. Perfect.
3: Yeah, awesome. I, I think it, in terms of solutions, I think Tim phrased it exactly right. It's so. First of all, it it starts with managers, um, it, and it starts with people who. Are getting away from the mentality. In, it could be in a localized way, or it could be in a broader way. I would strongly suggest starting in a localized way, proving out the benefits on a single team, and then demonstrating the value of of risk taking. Moving away from, hey, I marginally improved these metrics, kind of, I think by two percent, and that justifies, you know, my my sort of standard five percent raise annually, and that's it. I'm just going to do that ad infinitum uh, constantly, really regardless of whether I can measure that true improvement or not. If you take, so something I've done on my teams before, because uh, I'm a product manager, and so uh, my job on uh, at Convoy and, and also at Microsoft was to take our uh, engineering team, our UX resources, our program management resources, and essentially budget those to work on tasks. And I would be the person that would be accountable, uh, account- uh, accountable to whether or not those tasks resulted in deliverables that were, were good results for the company. And what I do every time is devote a certain amount of resources to research and innovation, even if that's just, if you're talking about an engineer, even if, if that's just, you know, a couple hours of engineering time every single week, almost always, in my experience, some of the best stuff comes from that uh, delegation of, of time and, and energy. Um, engineers are also your best friends when it comes to innovating. A lot of people will try to innovate without the 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 engineers being involved and say okay well i can come up with all the cool stuff here's what i want to build and and here's what i want to do and this is the way forward but the engineers the one building it they're the ones that see all the all the problems they know like what people want they see how people are using it they're monitoring it in a very different way, but they're the ones that are actually creating it. So giving them time to just go be creative um, and then using those creative outputs as experiments. It, it, the teams that do that, in my experience, obliterate the teams that don't uh, in terms of how much value they're actually driving for the company. So just starting with that is...
1: is can, I, can I interject over here with one other point, which is another myth that I, I am bringing to the table over here? Is that the optimizers know how to best prioritize the experiment or the ideas that they want to test out, and it kind of ties in with what you said um, Chad, about how you know if you're not involving the engineering team in in planning all this out, then it kind of you, everything's misaligned, and I feel like with the the prioritization models and so on and so forth the you know current optimizers work with it's it doesn't Cater towards that collaboration between engineering, dev, business, or whatever, uh, to work in, in, in unison. It's more like the CROs, they think that they know the best way to prioritize and when things should go out. Well, they, they do,
2: factor. they do, for, but for their thing. For well, their thing,
1: big, exactly. They this is to this, 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 this all other. talking around the same point in terms of, excuse
2: me. <clears throat> for their thing, here's my target, here's what I've got to do, I've got to involve all the people, I've understood that message, I'm going to try and do this, yeah. um, and I'd kind of throw forward rather than call back. Uh, I know we've got one of the, the talks we've got planned is about soft skills, and I've talked about selling uh, in terms of what you need to do. is We've got a talk planned. so we'll maybe talk more in detail on that because there's a, a lot to unpack in that area. What, what Chad's describing, what I'm describing, is, is actually what your webpage does here's your problem do you recognize it would you like it if i solved that problem for you it's it's a landing page but we're really poor at doing that we try and sell these ideas internally because we're not doing what the user wants and providing a solution to their problems we're looking to the user to solve our problem in a web page it's kind of i need more money therefore you must buy we don't tell the customer why they should buy we just go i've got targets to hit here's an offer do it or not and we then internally we laugh at people oh your landing page will never convert like that let's look at what your user wants we do all this research but then internally we turn around and do exactly the same thing as we just criticize that landing page from doing when we ask for help from the people who are better placed to help than us so the engineers will come up with more inventive stuff they are problem solvers for a living Uh, they're going to have areas where they're more risk averse they get given certain criteria so it's our job to sort of say, if These limits were raised. If you did not have to work within the bounds you're used to working to, what could you do? And that's the permission to be innovative. And the culture piece, which is thrown back to the one before, is our job is to enable those guys to to do that more easily and then frame it within. And the reason we are doing that is because if we all pull together, we get more money. So it still comes back to that bottom line. It's not actually about being fluffy, but it's about organizing people around you to, all work together rather than telling people here's what you need to happen for your targets and i think an awful lot of it turns ends up being that arrogance again and it's like we if anybody we should be the most uh, humble have the, the most humble have the most humility of anybody in the team because we get proved wrong far more often than anybody else does because yeah. we throw our shit out more often excuse me on the language but yeah, it, it, it's, it, 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 it's 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 confounding to me but these are soft skills these are things which you learn either from training in them because they are skills you can train in or from hard one experience of doing it wrong for too long eventually you learn hello that's my technique but this is where i think you've mentioned this before manuel i think one of the myths is being a conversion optimizer is enough for you to run a conversion optimization team i know val's talked before about kind of having an ops person yeah you need somebody who knows how to work a business, not how to work a creative experiment side of things. Yeah. But then, we have loads of practitioners. Like loads if there's people. different skill sets involved yeah. in terms of, playing company politics and tweaking these and if you are in a small you know, one person team two person team in a smallish business that doesn't have a culture you're fighting back against your classic structural system you're not going to get very far saying but i've been told we need a culture because the most you'll get will be a tick box and an expectation for you to send an email yeah. uh, what, what you have to do is you have to go outside of the structure the tacit knowledge and you speak to the people you support the people you horse trade favors hey i'll bring some donuts do you mind having a look at this thing in your the people who are going to come up with the best ideas will be the customer service people will be the engineer people you just need to frame that in a way you can test it to prove it to the management people you are that linchpin helping them communicate you're a universal translator and if you are doing that well then you get ideas and solutions popping up left right and center which eventually will get people going hey we should do something about this Mm -hmm. We've accidentally got the culture unique, but you haven't put the
1: label on it.
3: Yeah,
1: but this is one yeah. thing. I like... I, I want... Sorry, Chad. Go oh, yeah, go sorry,
3: on. sorry, Manuel. I, I, will, I actually wanted to talk about your your original uh, original question that you asked a little bit, which is which which Tim I think addressed very very well. I wanted to address a different piece of it, which was this you know the prioritization frameworks that people use and the value of those prioritization frameworks. Uh, I'm gonna. Maybe this will be another controversial stance that gets me in trouble again. I think, from everything that I've seen, they are almost all completely useless. Yeah, no, that uh, was pretty the, much. F- they,
2: full agreement. That was that was what was the point much. we're gonna make on this one. <laughs> we're, we're all in the yeah. same boat. We've we're we've almost. had long yeah, they, conversations on that one. Yeah. Yeah. They
3: they they add almost no value, and I think I think the, the for, from my experience, um not only working with them but with people who are using them, is that. It, it kind of ties back to the first conversation that we had, which is you you come up with a, a, a this, this array of criteria that you're using to decide what's valuable and then ranking things according to that criteria. But the whole purpose of what we're doing is that we don't know the direction that we're going. We don't know what's going to be valuable or not until we do it. So it's almost like you're you're limiting your own creativity by imposing these sort of guardrails and regulations on what is most valuable, but you don't even know what's most valuable until you try it. So like it, it doesn't, it doesn't make very much sense to me. And then the other problem is after there's no way to, what most people are not doing is tying those, those real high value experiments back into their framework and saying, Hey, we tested 10 things. This was number one in our framework. And this was number 10. Did number one actually do better than 10? Because if right. the answer is no, if 10 did better than 1, then your framework sucks, right? Yeah, this is something really that Beth talked job.
2: about. Yeah, so, so revi- But this is true of anything. You revising your model based on the data you input, yep. don't you? So um, Manuel, just a point of interest. daniela has got a question for Chad. Yeah, we'll come to that so shortly. Bring that in a second. We'll um, but yeah, so it, but we've had this conversation before, Chad. It's, it's like the models aren't useless. So talk about why do we have best practices? First question on the last one. It's kind of they are useful. They're a framework. We're humans. We need something to work through. Do we trust them blindly? Yes, but we shouldn't. And if you have got a prioritization and you run according to that prioritization based on the information you had at the time, your belief of how that worked, effectively, you're trying a hypothesis. So at the end of that, having run that sprint, having run those set of tests, you then go back and go, we reckon this would be worth the most, this would cost the least, and this is what actually happened. Does that add up? No, it doesn't. Where did I go wrong? Improve for next time. So you should be continually right. refining that model. You should be including other factors in that beyond kind of what's the most win no no offense to PXL, but above or below fold, there are other levers which you can do. And with any kind of multi-parametric thing where you've got multiple variables which could affect that, you need to be looking at which things are correlated, which things are showing a weird result considering you thought they were correlated and looking for what other inputs you can track. And the one which frustrates me but fascinates me that we don't talk about it is the project management side. And I'm not going to get on that soapbox because I could do the rest of this hour on this alone. But when we're talking about Costs and efficiency and working better, when you go it's a difficulty four, that's just kind of accepted. When you're on PXL and they go it's a three to eight hour job, okay. Did anybody go back and afterwards and see whether it's three to eight hours? And was that three well, to eight hours for the dev or the designer or for the QA person? No, there's there's a big old string yeah. in terms of how long that time could be. And if you're looking at cost and ROI, the biggest cost more than the tool, is going to be the hours you burn on the people. So if you're not using that efficiently, what are you doing? If you're not measuring it, you don't know if you're using it efficiently, you're just going, here's a priority. So any prioritization schedule that is based on finger-in-the-air guesswork for the cost of doing it, how fast you can do it, and ultimately what you got from it, is futile beyond that first pass because after you've had your no input, zero priors test – you go back and you start filling in priors and challenging them. And again, it it's makes sense we do testing on it, but we never point that camera inwards at this sort of thing and say, could we improve how we do this?
1: Yeah. I think my, ch- my challenge with those prioritization models, for, for one, pie and ice are complete finger in the air for, for all I care. And I really do not recommend them. I know there was a big discussion on why it's easy and stuff like that, but really you're on the job of optimizing experiences, optimizing stuff get used to difficult things right pxl is a lot better in that sense so i kind of recommend that as a kind of starting point but again out of the box makes no sense and the third point is when you uh, as chad said you know with uh, as you said tim development time scales and all that kind of stuff you shouldn't be prioritizing that you shouldn't be inputting those numbers in there at all it should be your development team who have a better grasp on those numbers and then do another pass when you come through
2: but that means that you need to get them involved at the very ideation stage exactly when when you're going we're going to put this test in you go across to your engineer and you go we want to try and do this for this reason what do you think and they go well you've suggested this approach but actually this approach would work just as well for what i think you're trying to deliver and it costs half as it's half as hard to build so then you've got a pragmatic choice to go, well, I want it exactly the way I planned it because I think that's going to give me a little bit more. Or you can go, actually, yours still gives me the answer I need and it's half the cost. Okay, I'll listen to you. And that, that interaction is essential and it's part of culture and they, that's build teams. The culture, I feel. they build teams that do that. The problem you've got is that doubles up the manpower you require on your research schedule at the start. Because you need to take both the CRO and possibly the analyst and the engineer out of line of duty to all get their head around what you need to achieve, have that conversation and note that down. And so it's got a higher upfront cost, which is hard to justify until you've already seen results. So it's a chicken and egg. You can't work the way you need to work
1: like that and reduce your overall costs without increasing your upfront costs. And that's a hard sell. That's a trade-off, right? That you, you, you invest in that upfront to get that, that machine in place. And but you need you need easier. more bodies, you need them, and then they need to get on,
2: they need to it all be. It becomes easier uh, in, yeah. in the long so, run. So that, that that's run. why you don't see it happening so often. It's not yeah. that people don't know that's the ideal, it's just because, given the structure, lack of that being the DNA in the com- company, it's really hard to do that. You end up borrowing people's lunch hours to do stuff that you know needs to happen, but actually you're relying upon people's goodwill. And if yeah. your business model and your ROI from your conversion team is built on i'm borrowing an hour here and there but they're still going to do their day job that doesn't scale and when that person leaves moves gets tired of it falls out with you after the christmas party falls over you have no replacement plan it's not optimal so there are ways to work around that but it's 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 a frustration to me like i said i can soapbox on that for ages okay.
1: to, i'm, I'm cover- mindful of time i'm mindful of time so i want to cover that one last myth uh which is Testing is the only way. But before we come to that myth, uh, I want to get Daniela's question answered by Chad. And then we come to that last myth, right? So I, I want to keep everything a bit more streamlined. Uh, so uh, Daniela asks, how did you frame the task for research and innovation for your team? Did they get a specific question to answer or were they completely free in choosing which topic to spend these dedicated hours per week on? Was there a deliverable? So that's for you, Chad.
3: Yes. Um, uh, good question. So I can tell you about my uh, my personal experiences. I know obviously there are teams who do this differently, but for us, we have uh, at Convoy a uh, what's a good way to describe it? It's almost like a bottom up and top down uh, assignment of uh, goals. So what we will do as a team is come together. Uh, About now, actually, so we work in terms of quarters, so halfway through the quarter, we'll get together and say, what do we think are the biggest problems for our customers? Uh, What are the things that we're hearing them say? Uh, What are the things that we're seeing them do? Um, And these are all hypotheses. These are, we call it the problem hypothesis statement. So we have a belief that there is a problem, and then the next step is to go and investigate to see how much evidence we can collect on whether or not it is an actual problem. And once we have a list of actual problems, then we will report those up to management and say, these are the things, these are the big problems that we would like to solve. Management will then collect those from all of the other teams that are doing the same thing, and they'll create their prioritized list of, we think that problem A is most important, followed by B, C, D, okay teams now your job is to go and and solve these problems and then it becomes the job of of my team to come up with as many ideas possible on solutions so that's where the experimentation really comes into play is how many solutions can we come up with that are derived from the research that we conduct i hope that answers the
2: question yeah so so is the deliverable from that is you get some answers to what is the kind of the wider strategy piece so if you've all agreed the kind of group strategy that go off and think about it time is kind of what i was saying is like here's, here's where we want to get here's what we see to be a problem go and just come up with ideas and the deliverable is coming back with ideas therefore kind of the the exactly yeah okay, yep. okay.
1: Okay, hopefully that answers your question, uh, Daniela. Uh, Just remember, guys, that Conversion Nations Live is happening all throughout Season 3, so if you want uh, your own questions answered like Daniela has just now, attend live. Uh, But now to cover the last point, which is uh, testing is the only way, and this was suggested by Tim as a myth. Well, I, I I think we could perhaps cheat a little bit and kind of say we've covered that, haven't we?
2: I think we have, but um, I think I think because I think because we've talked. My argument on that is that there's a lot of people see testing as just A/B, and we've covered that to death. And obviously, Chad, Chad's kind of said it's, it's A/B testing a web page is not the only fruit, and we've yep. we've we've covered some many other ways you could look at an experimentation mindset. Um, and I will eventually come up with a better way to phrase that, but kind of something other that is that is not necessarily a random controlled trial on a web page pragmatically there are also ways to move the business challenges forward which are not a test not as we'd recognize a test and chad's covered off some examples already but the whole test everything you, is, should, test that. you should test that a little
1: bit harsh to just point to somebody but okay, no choice. no it's just like the, no, this is like the the phrase right it's not yeah, I'm not talking but, about the book or anything it's so I would I would say we probably
2: can we're getting to a point with technology where where for a given definition of test there are already systems out there that are kind of self healing where you literally are just throwing very versions at versions at and kind of optimizing towards kind of a particular outcome but that tends to be more of your kind of structural pieces to kind of fit to browser fit to use case behavioral pieces which are fairly simple input fairly simple output very fixed defined of i want you to do this and this no more but if you're looking at going i need to answer this question sometimes it's easier sometimes it's more practical to go ask the customer to go ask the team to do a basic kind of spitball smoke door t- test to kind of go, does it have legs before we go any further on it? Rather than going, it's on the roadmap because I've got a certain number of tests to go through with, and it's on the roadmap because we have to test everything. It, it would be nice if there was endless resource, endless traffic, and there was a way to measure all the things you want to test. Okay. Sure, mm-hmm. stick, stick it in the machine, churn it out and get through them as fast as possible. But we don't live in that world. So you have to make practical choices of going, you know, how much risk if we don't? How much do we care about the accuracy on this risk? And if we can't answer that question, if we don't take a different answer from, don't take a different action from what the outcomes are, we have to do it anyway. Let's just pick the best one measure afterwards to see how bad the effect was. You don't have to test it. Just run the business. We already do so many decisions in business in terms of kind of conversation suppliers, buyer Demands that are not tested and would not be practically testable don't get so head up that you have to test every change because there will be opportunity cost from getting the priorities wrong, thinking you have to and ending up testing the wrong thing and burning time that you could have spent testing the thing you needed to answer. So you don't have to test everything, and testing is not the only answer. So if you can't test, doesn't mean you can't experiment or try something but it may mean that you can free up your roadmap if you're a little bit more open-minded about what experimentation and optimization means for that particular situation, given available resource, available time, given the complexity of the problem you are trying to answer. Nice. Can yeah, I, that,
3: that's totally true. Yeah, I, I was just going to provide maybe a couple examples um, because I think I think these types of things can, if you've, what Tim is saying is, is exactly correct um but I, I have found that it can be hard for people who come up with that test everything um mentality or hearing it or being exposed to it it's hard to think of you know what are what are the alternatives um a good example that a director of uh, user research who worked on uh, xbox when i was at microsoft one one example he gave me was you know if there is a if you're at a store or a restaurant perhaps and uh the the handle to the bathroom was broken. You don't need necessarily to run a controlled trial where you set up two handles and, you know, 10 people in each one and 10 people in the other one. And the the metric that you measure is like how long it takes them to get into the bathroom. And then if that's not significant, then, you know, you don't go with the fixed handle Like, you can very clearly and evidently see when a person struggles and when they don't. And the immediate value of adding a a non-broken handle to a bathroom door is probably not going to be evident in the metrics, right? Like, Everyone who is going to use the bathroom is going to use it regardless of if the handle is broken or not. So improving it is not immediately going to make a difference, but it probably is going to make a difference when someone thinks about, do I want to go to this, in, into this restaurant the next time where their bathroom sucks?
0: Yeah, um, likewise.
3: So
2: there's, or or there's... to take your analogy to, like, you, you know you need to handle, you've got an ABC test of broken handle, <laughs> old handle replaced, and doorknob. And you're trying to split the difference between handle and doorknob. And it's like, that's not, that's not the point. It, it's You're not going to be able yeah. to get a measurable difference in terms of the actual thing that matters. Um, yeah, lifetime satisfaction is going to be the key. Good example. I, the, yeah. This is this, These are – it doesn't need testing, and kind of Arnout Helens has, has said the same thing. That there's some stuff you've got kind of, to – if it's broken, fix it. And, and people go, yeah, but what happens if I pick the wrong one? If it's broken, not broken is a right one. Let's go with that for now. <laughs> and then we can kind of test, if you want to, what's best not broken looks like. But if there's some fundamental things where – you haven't got enough time to do it like realistically it's a three-week window and so go we've got matt gershoff's kind of do no harm hypothesis run a bandit test run something where where if you need to know if it was better or not do that but it doesn't have to be a pure a b test meeting the statistical standards chad was ranting about last time you know you can just kind of go good enough why Well, our previous choice was flip a coin we're better than 50 percent that'll do (gasps) <gasps> you can't yeah, say that. It, you you totally well, can. You just assess the damage that if you get it wrong and you accept right. that, the
1: fact you yeah. get it wrong. to risk mitigation.
3: Well, what, yeah. we do, what we do at Convoy is like for all of our UI and our app, um, we don't do very deep testing. We When we run experiments for UI, all we're checking is to make sure that there's no bugs and that nothing broke, which is very common, which is exactly why we do that. And we can usually identify those things Super fast. So part of my job as running the experimentation platform is to reduce the time to detection, so that people don't waste time waiting for a buggy experiment to complete and then realize, oh crap, it was buggy. Now I have to go and redo the whole thing. Right? If I can catch that earlier, I'm actually saving the business quite a lot of of money and uh, analysis time. But if you're designing something for the UI. Um, especially at a company like Convoy where the number of samples they have is very, very low. They're working with truckers. Like if you make the button slightly easier to click, you're making it, you can talk to people and see that it's easier to click. You can talk, see them interact you can have, you can do user testing. You can do user research, but you're probably not going to get a strong economic dollar value to making interacting with the app slightly easier. Google can probably get away with that. Because Google has billions of people using their website, and they have trillions of searches that they can randomize on. But for the for the average business, that's just not possible. So trying to frame it in that way, it, to me is, is as Tim was saying, it's not a valuable use of your of your time. Yeah,
2: pick your battles. You know, I've got a toddler. You know, pick your battles. Sometimes get it right, get it really right, and make sure you've got a chance for it to be wrong because it, it needs to be. Um, but. When when it is a, a lower value or lower impact in the relative scale of everything else you've got to deal with, um, pick those battles. And if it is something where you can make a pragmatic choice based on other data, do that. Or start yourself by making a choice and then testing at the end of it so you minimize the amount of time it's cost you to do so. So you don't have to test everything, but I would suggest that you experiment or think in an experimental way with everything, which is kind of what we said before. It, just, it doesn't need to be kind of a pure bread, pure blood test you can have a mud blood test you can have some kind of mix of approaches as long as you are keeping to the idea of i want to make this better
1: okay let's uh wrap it up on that one i think we're on the like on the hour mark slightly a bit over time but uh guys thank you for joining me again for everyone who's attended live um for everyone listening in uh, to this recording obviously, uh, if you're listening to it right now. uh, We've got a lot more content coming up on Conversion Nations in the next few weeks. Uh, We've got a session on soft skills and sales skills for CROs. uh, We'll be looking at the fallout with the browser updates and cookie blocks happening and the impact on testing. We'll be looking at the better ways of analyzing your test results. Chant. (laughs) But... uh, Look out for those sessions. Make sure you attend live because the benefit over there is you get to answer, ask questions, you get to interact with us, you get to see our technical mess ups, which probably won't feature <laughs> it on this podcast. Yeah, you get your questions. You get name checked in the in the intro bit before we uh before we yeah get, you get do it, get so. name checked as well. So yeah. your moment of fame. <laughs> but um, yeah, thank you. Uh, my name is Manuel Da Costa. Tim, thank you for joining me today. No worries. Uh, Chad, thanks for joining. Next time, make sure you have your webcam on as well and your time. <laughs> but we'll see you all soon. Uh, this has been Conversion Nations brought to you by Effective Experiments.
0: Thanks for joining. Bye for now. Bye. You've been listening to Conversion Nations. Don't forget to subscribe to get notified when we release new updates. Conversion Nations is brought to you by Effective Experiments. Want to make experimentation a core part of your business? Request your demo and let us show you how we can help you grow your testing program.